Hi, I'm Keith, Manager of Organizational and Spiritual Life with Christian Horizons. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Renew, Caring for You as You Care for Others. We've spent some time exploring the hazards of care, and recently we've been talking about the art of resilience. How do we practice resilience in the caregiving journey? And so the first step of that is knowing how we see the world and how that can impact our ability to practice resilient care. So we talked about managing our expectations and then finding thanks. How do we practice gratitude in our everyday interactions? Today we're going to look at knowing ourselves or discovering who we are, depending on how you want to look at it, and how as we provide care for others, we practice care with ourselves, and we build resiliency, how knowing ourselves or discovering ourselves can impact that journey. As always, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think. Visit our site, christian-horizons.org. And I welcome emails to ministry at christian-horizons.org. So coming out of a session on finding thanks or practicing gratitude, an important aspect to that is recognizing gifts. If we believe and live like we are part of a world that has good gifts to give and we're practicing gratitude and giving thanks for those things, then it's going to be natural for us to look for that good in others too, in the gifts that other people have to share. It's actually a, a service principle for our organization that we believe that everyone has gifts to share. And that's a crucial aspect to practicing the art of resilience. In the Christian tradition, this is part and parcel of what it means to be created in God's image, beautifully and wonderfully made, and everyone has a gift to share, and we're reminded that it's important to use these gifts to serve one another. So whether we're looking for those gifts and finding thanks in uh, one another as co-workers or as family members, or as people who use services or people who receive care, it's really important to be looking for the gifts rather than focusing on people's needs and limits. Now, obviously, that's a part of who we are, but practicing gratitude means that our primary focus is not just on people's limits and needs, but also what they have to give and to contribute to the world around them. Judith Snow is a, an incredible thinker and a writer who passed away um, a few years back, unfortunately, but one of the really important contributions she made was to say that our gifting comes from two things. Really, all you need is two things in order to be a gift to the world and to the people around you. And those two things are presence and difference, that we need to be present to one another. We need to be there for one another. Um, and as soon as we're together, then we have the ability to contribute to each other's lives. And the second thing is difference. If everyone is uh, slightly different from one another, then that in itself is a gift that we bring a different perspective, a different contribution, a different way of being in the world. And so today, as you think of those around you, as you think of yourself, what what is the difference that you bring to the relationships, to the communities that you're a part of? So that's kind of a third point in, in seeing the world after finding thanks, is recognizing the gifts of others. And that can go in line with a few different things. So recognizing the gifts of the people who might be receiving care from us, that 
uh, true care is mutual care, as Henry Nowen remarked. And as we practice care with each other, we can recognize the gifts in each other and each be contributing into each other's lives. And then co-workers or um, other family members, how do we recognize other people's gifts? Maybe it's a good opportunity for us to write something encouraging for those people that, that contribute and that make a difference in our lives and the lives of the people that we give and receive care with. And finally, how do we recognize our own gifts and strengths that sometimes at the end of a long day, it's hard to see much more than our, our limits, than our areas of weakness, the areas that we felt like we could have done a better job. How do we learn to recognize that I too have gifts to give, that I too have areas of strength, that I too can contribute to relationships and have something meaningful to bring into the world based on presence, based on difference, based on the way that I am and interact with others in relationship. So that leads into this second main point of the art of resilience. So if the first is seeing the world, the second is knowing ourselves. And I also include a, a question mark after that. And I'll, I'll talk a bit about the reasons why. To, to know yourself as a kind of phrase or philosophical principle is something that goes way back. So it's said that it's inscribed on the, the temple of Apollo back in ancient Greece. And we even find that a, a form of it reaches back to ancient Egypt. And it, even back then, they're talking about the, the need to, to know yourself. Philosophers have wrestled with what it means to this day, and often you'll see it attributed to Socrates, but probably even by Socrates' time, it was, it was kind of a, a phrase that they were familiar with and that was received wisdom for them. And I think this is, this is something important to consider. Who are we? What, we? As we just talked about, what are the gifts and abilities that we bring to the world? How do we interact with others? And, and how is that a positive thing sometimes? How that can that be maybe detrimental um, even to our own resilience at times? But it's important to recognize there are also limits on our ability to, to know ourselves and to understand ourselves. That as human beings, we are changing all the time. And we'll have things that were true of us yesterday that aren't true about us today. And that's, I think that's a good thing. That's a, that's a sign of growth. That's a sign of potential. If we didn't change, if we knew who we were at the beginning of our life and we we're the same person at the end of the life, it's hard to say how much life we really lived. A big part of my work and my writing is around what it means to be formed together. And even in caregiving ethics, how does who we are how is who we are made up by our relationships with so many other people, our histories, our interactions with others? I shared with you my caregiving journey with Michael last episode, and that, that both beautiful and difficult journey of caregiving is part of who I am today. It's not something that I'm, I'm going to let go of. I can change the way that I relate to it potentially, but it's going to be a part of who I am. 
thinking of my my own mother who passed away a few years back and how she cared so well for us as children. And then towards the end of her life, how she was receiving care. She had a, a brain tumor that impacted the last uh, couple of decades of her life. And towards the end especially, that had a profound impact on, on both who she was and her ability to, to give care. It became a time where we gave back to her for all the years that she had invested in us. And so those, those relationships, um, those identities are all intertwined in a way that it's really difficult to figure out. And I don't think we're ever supposed to have it figured out. So can we know ourselves? I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, but I think it's more a matter of discovering who we are, a matter of self-awareness, a matter of talking to those around us and, and finding out how are we interpreted by the world? How are we being received by the world and how are we contributing to the world? So I want to spend some time on that today. I'm sure that most of us have taken personality tests at one point in time or another, whether that's the, the Myers-Briggs test, the Enneagram maybe, there's a, a DISC assessment, uh, True Colors, Big Five, Berkman Method. I'm sure we could go on and on with the different types of personality tests that are out there. And I've always found them quite interesting. Certainly they don't have the full picture of who we are, but they can reveal different aspects of my personality that are really helpful to know, especially as I'm interacting with others. My wife and I did the Enneagram not long ago, and I came out as a type one, which is kind of this reformer personality. I want to see things made better. I want to figure out what is the best way to approach different topics or questions or issues. My wife, on the other hand, is a type two, which is a helper personality. She wants to come alongside you and help you to feel like you are doing your best and support you in what you're doing. And so for the most part, we work great together. But when it comes to matters of justice, when it comes to matters of care, my, my focus is on how can we make things better? How can, we, how can we fix the world? Where she approaches things like, how can we hold the world together? And so you can see that even as we work well together, there's that almost area of tension if I'm looking to make changes and she's looking to hold things together or kind of pace things back together. And with a certain kind of awareness of this, that can be really helpful. But it can also mean that people can, can bump into each other at times and, and not be sure why. And so um, these kinds of personality tests can be really helpful, maybe in group situations where you're trying to figure out your teammates and your uh, your coworkers and your supervisor, or in family dynamics, if you are providing care for someone at home, just figuring out how how you interact with each other, um, including the person who is uh, receiving care as well. What are they looking for? Because sometimes the way that we look to to give care is not the way that people really want to receive it, and so learning a bit about who they are and what they are looking for in a caregiving relationship is is crucial. It's essential. And part of that question is, how are they looking to contribute? 
right? What are those what are those things that they like to do or to, to say or to maybe joke about that are really important to them and, and to who they are? Um, sometimes the, the greatest danger is is uh, providing too much care for people and trying to to take over and do things that they would be more than happy to do for themselves. And in fact, maybe that's a part of their identity is is wrapped up in in what they can bring to the world in their gifting. Figuring out ways to kind of navigate that together is a really important aspect of of knowing ourselves and knowing one another. We obviously don't have time to get into a full personality test of of myself or anyone else today. I do encourage you to check some of those options out if that's new for you. But I want to run through a few questions that I think can be helpful and maybe give us a sense of who we are. Again, a sense of who we are today, that this might be different from who you were a few weeks back or uh, several years ago or in your childhood. But checking in with ourselves to say, you know, who who is the person that I am today? And how do I make sure to practice resilient care as that person is a really important thing to consider. So a few different questions for us. The, the first I want us to think about is, who are five people that you care about? Who are five people that you care about? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to kind of separate if you have, if you have grandkids to, to pick your favorite grandkid, for example. Uh, maybe that's a, a group of people that you're thinking of that your, your children, um, Maybe it's your friends from a certain group that are really important to you or activity. Um, maybe it's a spouse, a partner, whoever that is. Maybe just jot down a list of those people. Now, this might seem something that's obvious. And I'm sure that if, if somebody asked you about that, uh, who knows you well, you would say, well, you know who I care about. I, I talk about them all the time. They're, they're an important part of my life. There is something significant, though, about taking the time to write down their names or to identify them. And one of the reasons for this is that when we are having difficulty practicing resilient care in our, our caregiving relationships, when we get worn out, when we experience compassion fatigue, um, it's often not those who we work with that that feel that first. Often we're able to, quote-unquote, hold ourselves together for our work relationships, for the people that even don't know us as well. We want to present well for those people. But when it comes to the people that are important to us, the, the people that you could almost say are stuck with us, Sometimes they see those, those that fraying around the edges first. They're often the ones that, that feel the impact of our time being used up first, right? That you feel like you can negotiate with them. You can say, you know, unfortunately, I need to focus on my work right now. There's just so much going on. And so it's kind of this irony of we often invest ourselves primarily in those relationships with the people that are maybe not as important to us, and it's those who are closest to us, those who are most important to us, who end up suffering. So it can be a good check for us, especially if we're experiencing compassion fatigue, if we're experiencing burnout, to say, you know, whether or not I 
I learned to practice self-care and resilience for myself, uh, it's really important for me to practice this for those around me so that I'm able to give my best for those people. Second question, and this is a this is kind of a fun one. You know, what what's your favorite book? Or what's your favorite music album? What's your favorite food? Just taking some time to identify those things that have shaped who you are. Maybe the book that has has painted a new way of looking at the world. Um, music album that maybe brings you back to another time. A happy time in your life, a time with fond memories. Food can do that too, or food can be a source of, of sustenance. Often when I'm asked what my favorite meal is, I say chicken wings. And <laughs> people will respond, well, that's not really a meal. But for me, it's something that is, it's just part of who I am, that I enjoy chicken wings. And I think it goes back to when I was at college as well. And I would go out uh, with some good friends for chicken wings. So it also brings me back to time in my life. So you don't need to spend too long on this, but maybe think about when's the last time that you've read that book or or listened to that album. When's the last time you've made your favorite dish or gone out for your favorite food? These seemingly small things can can remind us of who we are. Or maybe one day we'll discover, you know, I'm not that into that book anymore or movie or whatever it is. I, I guess I've changed and we can celebrate that change as well. Third question for you today, if you had a whole day to set aside to do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do with that day? Would it be a spa day? Would it be a day of playing tennis with friends? Would you be reading? Would you just be hanging out? Would you want to be on vacation somewhere, maybe on a beach? Would you want to be touring and visiting, you know, strange and exotic locations. Give some thought to this, because often we don't schedule these things intentionally. We may be just struck by, oh yeah, I'm going to take some time, I'm going to go um, get my hair done, or whatever it is for you that's important for you. What does it look to like to build an aspect of this into our calendars, into our schedules? Now obviously we're not going to be able to go on big expensive trips whenever we feel like it. But that doesn't mean that we can't have an experience kind of like that or prioritize for that on an ongoing basis. Or we could be planning for it. And sometimes that simple act of putting away, putting aside money to save towards a large trip can be that encouraging thing for us that reminds us that, that uh, something is coming up that we're really looking forward to. The other reason I think this is important is that often if we had a whole day to do with what we wanted, we would build in a kind of rest there. Many of us are almost desperately in need of rest, of sleep or um, recharging somehow. And so the principle of, of Sabbath here, I think, is important, of taking some time to recharge. Brene Brown has a, a, a kind of a phrase that she uses to talk about this. She says, dig, dig deep. Um, and that's an acronym for getting deliberate 
inspired, and then getting going. So you want to get deliberate in your thoughts and behaviors, whether that's through prayer, meditation, or setting intentions. And you want to get inspired. What are those things that you can do to help you get inspired again, to make new and different choices maybe for growth, and then getting going. So um, taking that action that you've been inspired to take. It's almost a point of recalibration, right? Building in that point of recalibration to to dig deep, get deliberate, inspired, and getting going. Another question that I think is important is, uh, what are three things you could start doing today to be healthier? There's a reason that I ask it in this way. There are obviously lots of, of courses, lots of um, trainings or self-help books that you can read or take that are going to tell you all the things that you need to do in order to be healthier. I don't think most of us need that. I think most of us are quite aware of the things that we could be doing. But this is more a point of stopping and checking in to say, what are those things that I, I know would be good for me? And how do I start doing those? How do I start taking action towards those things that could help me to be healthier? Things like uh, drinking more water, getting more exercise, sleep hygiene maybe. Um, those are all things for me personally that are important, but they might look a little different for you. I um, want to recommend a book by Kelly McGonigal. It's called The Willpower Instinct. Subtitle, How Self-Control Works why it matters, and what you can do to get more of it. Because I really believe that our challenge isn't so much knowing what to do when it comes to being healthier. We all know that we should probably eat more green vegetables, for instance. It's having the self-control or having the willpower to follow through on those things that we know. So Kelly McGonigal writes, um, The biggest enemies of willpower are temptation, self-criticism, and stress. These three skills, self-awareness, self-care, and remembering what matter most are the foundation for self-control. As a reminder, you can download handouts from the web, the Renew website, christian-horizons.org renew, and this book will be referenced there too. But what she's saying here is that, that when we have self-criticism, stress, and then temptation, those are the some of the biggest enemies to willpower. But doing some of these, asking some of these questions that we've been asking, you know, who are those people that are important to me? What are those things that I care about? Those help to serve as this foundation for having having willpower to setting goals and actually achieving them. I encourage you to check that out. Final question I want to ask here is, is what gives you meaning? What are some of those aspects of your life, whether it's friends or family or faith, I guess they all kind of start with F there. Um, what is it that gives you meaning in life? And some people would refer to this as, as spirituality, right? What are you, what are you living for? That we know that um, having a, a purpose and, and being aware of that purpose helps us to live more intentionally. It's a good question to, to check in and ask ourselves, what is it that's giving me many, meaning? There's, there's two books that I can recommend. The first is, is from a Christian spiritual tradition, so it's called God in My Everything by Ken Shigizmatsu, and a subtitle, How an Ancient Rhythm Helps 
busy people enjoy God. And he talks about this idea of a trellis, having a trellis where all the different aspects of your life kind of contribute to the growth and flourishing. It's really helpful kind of imagery there. Uh, the second book is The Happiness Hypothesis. And Jonathan Haidt works through, he's a psychologist, sociologist who, who works through all these different hypotheses, the the ways that people have seen happiness over time, and it's really challenging and encouraging read for people from from any or no faith tradition to give some thought to where have people found meaning and significant through human history. To wrap up today, I want to go back to the question mark that we inserted after knowing ourselves at the start. What does it mean to know ourselves? Well, that, that is important. It's important to, to kind of discover who we are and to track with where we're at in life, what our priorities are, what where we find meaning. But there's also a question there of, is it more important to know ourselves or to be known by others? I think this is really key. Who Who are those people in your life who know you really well? How are you building into and nurturing those relationships? Because those are the people that help to sustain us. From the Christian tradition, the one who knows us best is is God. And there's a, a chapter in the Psalms, Psalm 139, that is really beautiful. It's one that I memorized as a kid and has always been really significant to me. There's a a video where they're they're reading this, where they've brought together people from of all abilities to kind of uh, read through in their own communication styles this passage. And so I'll post that on our um, Renew website as well. It's the Psalm 139 Reflectors reading, if you want to just search for it on Google. But it starts with, Psalm 139 starts with, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Like, you know me intimately. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And then later on, he talks about, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This is a reassurance to me. This is an encouragement to me that on those days where I don't feel like I know myself, when I'm all I can see are my limitations and my vulnerabilities, that I can go back to this passage and be reminded that there is a God who knows me intimately and who loves me and has created me fearfully and wonderfully. And similarly, whether or not you're coming from the Christian tradition, there are people in your life who care for you, who know you, in fact, they are a part of who you are. We have been formed together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I hope you rest in that knowledge today. Blessings and, and be well. Thanks to James Palmer for lending his guitar talent to this project. You can follow him on Instagram at jamespalmernb or find his album Redwood on Spotify.